How many of you got way more excited thinking Justin was about to preach this morning? I did. I'm very thankful. I asked Justin the other night um, if he wouldn't mind reading a scripture, and I'm thankful for all the young men we have that are willing and able to uh, get up here and and on last-minute notice be able to um, read scripture or lead singing or lead a prayer, and I'm thankful for that. Um, also, I'm thankful for our song leader this morning picking three songs at the very beginning that uh, put my vocal cords to the test uh, this morning, but very beautiful songs, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series out of the book of Judges. Um, we ended last month our, our summer-long series talking about basic Christian teachings, and what my plan is, is over the next nine weeks, we're going to be going through Uh, the book of Judges with lessons uh, from there. Now, I know uh, there's a lot of times in my own teaching I give Judges a bad rap because if you see kind of the the synopsis of Judges that I I put on there, the good, the bad, the really ugly, that's what Judges is all about. Now, the good is perfectly portrayed to scale. There's a little bit of good, right? There's a whole lot of the bad and the really ugly doesn't mean we can't learn from it. doesn't mean we can't apply it. And so I really want to go through that, especially uh, before we get into our, our season of Thanksgiving. And I have sermons already prepared for uh, that time. And so we, uh, this is what I wanted to do for the next nine weeks. Now, uh, how many of you are Clint Eastwood fans? All right. Clint Eastwood, and I'm not, please don't make this sound like I'm endorsing all of these movies as um, morally good and everything but he had these movies that he was a part of called spaghetti westerns uh, a long time ago it's actually where he uh, started out really becoming famous and one of those was the good the bad the ugly and that movie uh, Clint Eastwood plays a man by the name of Blondie and uh, there's two other men uh, that are involved in that movie movie and Clint Eastwood would be considered the good Uh, The reason he was considered the good is because he did one good act at the very beginning of the movie, pretty much, and that was about it. And everything else in that movie was just gunfighting and violence. And there's judges for you. And that's why you see it's just a lot of violence, a lot of bad things going on. You see glimmers of good, but then there's just a lot of bad and really ugly. And that's why uh, we're going to be going through this, because sometimes in this world there's a little bit of good, There's a lot of that other stuff, and I want to talk about how we can handle that in our lives and apply this book to us. It's a long book that talks about the history of Israel as they are coming into the land of Canaan and all the struggles that they face, and I think a lot of that is applicable for us today. So uh, bear with me over the next nine weeks as we go through this. I promise you I'll make some encouraging application out of this book for us so that we can uh, be better Christians uh, in our lives. So number one, our our first lesson is is really the overarching theme, this cycle of apostasy that uh, the people of Israel go through throughout this uh, entire historical account. Uh, When I asked Justin to do this scripture reading this morning, 
I really thought, man, if I ask him to do Judges 2, 6 through chapter 3, verse 6, he's probably not going to say yes. So what I gave him was the very first account of our judge, Othniel, and it's really a, a small case study of what's explained in this entire chapter. And so um, I gave him that short little synopsis. Now, he would have done it. He would have done a great job, but... He may have been a little hesitant the next time I texted him about a scripture reading. Okay, so this is what we're going to cover this morning. Judges chapter 2, verse 6, through Judges chapter 3, verse 6. And what I, I want us to notice is this is the, the apostasy, the, the apostate Israel. This is what the, the cycle is that they go through throughout this book, is that at one point there was peace, right? But then... They sinned, and because they sinned, they were led into oppression, and while they were in oppression, they would cry out to the Lord, and so the Lord would then send a deliverer, right, and that would be our judge, and then that judge would cause them to come out of this oppression, and then there would be peace in the land for quite a while, for usually an entire generation, but then guess what happens? That cycle repeats itself. They, they fall into sin, they become oppressed, they repent, they're delivered, there's peace. And we're going to see that explained more in detail. Judges chapter 2 is really an in-depth look. It's like taking a magnifying glass and, and looking in very closely at a picture and seeing a very small uh, a bit of that picture. And that's what Judges 2 is, is here's a close-up look of really what, or, or actually a zoomed out look, of what Israel does throughout this book. They go into this cycle. They sin, they're oppressed, they repent, they're delivered, and then there's peace. Now, let's look at this cycle, and we're going to learn four lessons from the apostasy of Israel. If you will, follow along with me in these uh, verses as we cover this this morning. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to, their, to his inheritance to take possession of of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, the north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies." Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. 
They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies in all the, day, all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices on their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because of this people, because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and they did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now, chapter 3. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was, in, it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. To teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, and far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded the fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived long in the so the people lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. I know that was a long reading, but I hope as we went through that reading, you were able to pick up on some things, and maybe you already picked up on those four lessons we're going to learn this morning. But if you will notice in the first few verses of chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, our first lesson I want us to learn this morning is we will do evil when we don't know God. Notice what happened to the people of Israel. Joshua dies. What were the people doing during Joshua's time? Being faithful to the Lord. The elders died who outlived Joshua. What were the people doing during the elders' time? Being faithful to the Lord. But now these two, uh, these multiple faithful servants of God have died, and what happens to the people, right? That generation dies, notice verse 10, and also were gathered to the Father, and there rose another generation after them, watch this, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. If you notice in these first few verses, you'll see words often repeated of did and done, talking about the Lord, and seen and sight, talking about the people seeing what the Lord had done for them. What was wrong with this next generation that came up? They didn't know, right? Maybe a, a problem for the generation before them. But they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have an idea of what the Lord had done for them. Right? Maybe they forgot about Deuteronomy 6 where they were supposed to teach their children about what God is doing for them. Teach them to love their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And so because of that, a whole generation fell. And then look at what happened in verse 11. Notice that word and. It connects you to the previous thought. And it says, and the people of Israel 
did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, why did they do evil? Because they did not know God. And see, that's the first lesson I want us to understand. We will do evil when we don't know God. Right? They had forgot what God had done for them, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he separated the waters of the Red Sea, how he gave them manna, how he gave them water, how he gave them quail, how he'd done all of these things. They forgot about that. And because of that, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They sinned against him. They stopped following his commands. You'll see that same phrase, did evil in the sight of the Lord, eight times Throughout the book of Judges, you'll see it again in chapter 3, verse 7. In chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see it two times. In chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 6, verse 1. In chapter 10, verse 6. And in chapter 13, verse 1. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what you also noticed in that passage that we read is that it kept getting worse and worse and worse. The evil that they did kept getting worse. It, it progressed. It, by the end of the book of Judges, you're just like, good night. What are these people doing? Right? We're cutting up people. We're, I mean, it gets pretty graphic, right? It, it's stuff that sometimes we don't read to our children before bedtime because, whoo, it, it's wild. But that's what happens as you let evil come into your life, right? And it keeps getting worse. And the more we don't know God, the more evil that is done. It's, it reminded me of the idea, how many of you remember a childhood friend? Right? Some of you are children, so it's a little bit easier. But I had friends that I used to spend every single day with. We rode bikes together. We fell off our bikes together. We hurt ourselves together. We threw stuff at things we shouldn't have thrown it at. We did all of these things together. We spent hours together, days together, weeks together, years together. But then we lost touch. And now it's 30 years, 20 years, long ago. And guess what I remember about that person? Not much. How many of us does that translate to God? Right? The less time we spend with God in our personal lives, what happens? The more time we don't know him. And the less we know of God, guess what we're going to do? More evil. More things against him. Uh, that's why, if I can put it in simpler terms, the more we unlearn God, the more we learn who. If you're not playing for God's team, whose team are you on? You can't be on the sidelines just in the middle, right? We can't be the water boy for God's team. We have to be ready to be on his team. Because if we're not, we're playing for the other side. And the more we don't know him, the more we don't understand what he wants us to do in our lives, the more we're working for Satan. Think about how happy Satan is when we spend one day away from God's word. Boy, he's got us. We spend one day not praying. We spend a week because, you know, usually that one day turns into two days. Those two days turn into a week. Those weeks turn into months. Those months turn into years. And next thing you know, boy, we're the captain of Satan's team. And we don't even know it because we still call ourselves a Christian. Yeah, we're not playing for God because we've, we don't know God. And because we don't know God, guess what we're doing in our lives? Evil. Just like the people of Israel. We fault them so much for so many things. But we do the same. We have an entire book to learn about God and all of the miracles that he did. And yet sometimes we don't focus on that book and we, we focus on the world and we unlearn God in the process and we learn more of Satan. It's amazing sometimes to talk to a lot of people who are like, 
man, I used to know all those stories back in the day. Why don't we still know them? I used to remember when we used to go to VBS all the time, we would hear about Noah, we would hear about Jonah, we would hear all these great stories about David and Goliath and all that. Man, I kind of forgot about them. Why? They're still in the book. Uh, they're still written down for us to know them. There's still lessons to be learned, right? And so uh, the lesson for us is to make sure we're plugged in with God. Make sure we're understanding what he wants for us in this life so that we don't start becoming a part of Satan's team. And that's what you'll notice in these first few verses of Israel is they did very, very much that. Now, whose responsibility was it? That older generation that died. They should have been teaching the younger generation and they didn't, it seems like, because they didn't know God. They didn't hear the stories. They didn't know what God wanted them to do. And because of that, they did evil. Us older people here, us wiser people here, we need to be teaching our younger people about what God wants for them in their life, on how they can live a righteous life, how they can be a Christian in a world that seems to be moving further and further away from God. We need to be taking them in and helping them and mentoring them and being an encouragement to them so that they can learn God and stay away from evil in their life. Our second lesson this morning is going to come out of chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. God's hand is against him, against those who are against them. Notice what you find in these uh, verses. You'll see words like abandoned and angered. Uh, used throughout this little section of text. Notice, and they abandoned the Lord. All right, who made the first motion here? We need to make sure that's very clear. The people of Israel did. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, and because of that, they provoked him to anger, and they served other gods, and they served the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress God is against those who are against him but you have to think about it on the flip side God is for those who are for him right because if he if he's going to be against those who are against him think about what he's going I mean think about right there in this passage if you were to look at it on the other side of things if they were with him what was he going to do take care of those plunderers take care of everything that they needed to have taken care of but they said oh these other gods they seem pretty interesting let's go after those gods and because of that because they were doing evil he said good luck H have fun with these these plunderers who are going to come in and steal your crops and take your women and, and kill people you left me so here's your reward for that you don't want to obey my commands and notice did God let them go without warning Oh, it said plainly, the Lord had warned them, and the Lord had sworn to them. He said, hey, if this is what you're going to do, read through the first five books of the Bible. God is very plain through there that, hey, I want you to make me your number one God, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Pretty simple, 
But what did they do? They put other gods before them. And because of that, God was against them. It's just kind of a a sad situation that we see where they had all of this and, and you kind of want to root for them to say, hey, just be with God and let's see what happens. See the blessings that he will bless you with. If you would have just stayed with God, they would have taken care of all those people in the land of Canaan. The promised land would have been freed from all those other gods. Boy, it would have been great to see. But instead, we have this lesson for us. When we go against God, he's not on our team anymore. Is that a scary thought? To go against him who created everything who's done all of these great things, who gave me breath, I'm going to not be on his team. I'm going to be on the other team. Boy, that's a scary thought. I don't want to play that game, right? I'm going to fake an injury before we get out there. I don't want to be on God's other. I don't want to be against him. We see, you can read through the Old Testament, look at what the Israelite people did. Every time they were against him, bad news happened, right? And that's a great lesson for us, too. Uh, here's our application out of this. We shouldn't expect blessings from God if we're living for ourselves. How does that translate into our lives? How many of us have ever spent time away from God? Maybe doing life against God? Maybe kind of living for ourselves, making ourselves king in our lives, but yet our prayer life is a, a wish list from God. God, will you do this for the, God, I know I'm not really living the best, but hey, I need this done in my life. Should we expect to have those blessings answered? If we're not living for him, should we expect him to do anything for us? I mean, just think about that, right? God wants to bless his people, and he's blessed us richly to have a Savior who will wash away our sins. That's not where it stops. I mean, he still wants to bless us, and, and we can all probably say in here, boy, we are surely blessed here, right? But should we expect to be blessed if we're living for ourselves? Should we expect God to bless us if we're living for ourselves? All right, something I want us to learn from this, these people of Israel. Next, number three, put your faith in the God of man and not the man of God. How oh, this was a big struggle for Israel. Right? Look at verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, and they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked to obey the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord had moved or was moved to their pity because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than the fathers, than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. So what you notice here is that you, you also find this time of deliverance throughout the book of Judges where they go in and they take care of maybe you're thinking of Gideon and the Midianites, right? The Midianites are taken care of. Boy, everything's good. There's peace for 40 years. There's rest in the land, right? All things are good. Judge dies. People go off the rails again, right? Where did people put their faith? Was it the God of man or the man of God? 
They put a lot of faith in that man of God to take care of them. They forgot about who was really working with that man of God, right? And now I want you to hear me, and I don't want you to make this sound bad. How many times do we usually put our trust in men of God and forget about the God of men, right? Well, what do you mean by that, Matt? Have any of you ever been turned away from the church because a, a Christian in the church ever hurt you? Have any of you ever been turned away from the church because a preacher left? Have any of you ever been turned away from the church because an elder stepped down, right? Because, man, that was, that was my guy. I loved that man and how he preached. I loved that elder. He was so wise and so helpful. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. That man really hurt me that one day. He said something to me, and it really turned me away from church because we put so much trust in people on earth we forget how much trust we should really put up to God in heaven, right? And it makes me think about these people of Israel and, and the times where they kept just messing up. Well, they put so much trust and faith in these judges to keep them safe. They forgot about God working for that judge, God doing everything for that judge, right? I want you to remember this with this lesson. People will hurt you. People will leave you. People will disappoint you. But guess what? God won't. All right, simple as that. God won't hurt you. God won't leave you unless you leave him. And God will never disappoint you. But people will. And so that's why we need to make sure our faith, is, is our trust is put into God and not man. Because uh, time and time again, we have friendships, relationships with people inside the church where I don't know how many times people have left a church building saying, I'm never going to go back there because of what that person said to me. We're all imperfect people making up this church, right? Why would we put our faith in all of this, this stuff on this world instead of God? And so I want you to remember that lesson. Our last lesson this morning is number four. We create the tests we have to take. How many of you are test takers and love taking tests? Right, that, that ACT where you had to spend four hours taking a test, the worst, right? We create the tests that we have to take. Notice the end of chapter 2 and end of chapter 3. We have, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, my promise, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them, any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Right now, these nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. I want you to jump down to verse four. Now he, he lists those nations. Verse four, they were for the testing of Israel. Right? So you had all of these, these countries, these cultures, these gods left to test these people. How could they have taken care of that test and not having to take it? Just take care of the people. Right? If you kick the people out, guess what? There's no more test. But they didn't. And so guess what this was for them? This was a test by God that said, hey, you're leaving all these other gods in there. See if you can stay faithful to me. And they didn't. 
And that's why you see this cycle repeated over and over and over and over. It's because they let these other gods stay in their life. And because they did that, they went after these other gods. They failed the test every single time. If you read through the book of Judges, they fail and they fail. And they, they went from a B all the way down to incomplete, right? It was just really bad because they left these other gods in their lives. Now, this is not foreign from the New Testament, right? Look at James 1, 13 through 14. Let no one say to you when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Think about it. Whose fault was it among the people of Israel that they had this test in their life? The people of Israel, right? Didn't God say at the very beginning of everything, hey, kick these people out of the land, everything will be good. Guess what they didn't do? They didn't kick people out of the land. Whose fault was it? Their own, right? In our own lives. As much as we want to say, oh, God, you're doing this to me, you're putting all this stuff in my life, who's usually putting that stuff in our life? Us, right? Uh, verse 14 is probably one of the hardest verses to swallow in the New Testament. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We want to say the devil made me do it, but who did it? Me. I made myself do it. I carried myself away from God. I did all of these things. Yes, it's easy to use Satan as a scapegoat, but James doesn't use it. He uses ourselves. He says, no, 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 that was us. We failed the test. There was stuff in our lives Right? God's not just going to remove all possible sins out of your life. He's not going to force you into anything. Who makes the choice? We do. Right? We make the choice. We take the test. And it's our choice whether we make the right decisions or not. Now, here's an encouragement. If you want an easier test, remove the problems on it. How great would it be if your teacher came to you and said, here's your test. All you have to do is put your name on it and you turn it in. That'd be awesome. That could be our test in life, too, but what do we have to do? Israel had to kick the countries out. They had to kick the other gods out. Guess what we have to do? Kick those temptations out of our life. Those things that you know you struggle with, why put yourself in those situations? Why? Let's say, and I'll use this one as it, maybe you struggle with alcohol. Should you go to a bar? No. You're going to fail that test, right? Maybe you struggle with gossiping. Should you have private conversations about other people? No. Nope. Don't put yourself in that situation, right? Remove the problems. And maybe you struggle with gossiping. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. Maybe you struggle with list the sin, right? Fill it in the blank. If you want that problem removed from your test, work on it, right? Remove maybe people out of your life. Remove maybe situations out of your life, right? One thing, do you struggle with cursing, with horrible language, foul language, don't surround yourself with people that have foul language, right? Because the more you intake, eventually it's going to come out, right? And we need to work on it and make sure we focus on those, those temptations that we struggle with, those desires that we have in our life, those lusts we have in our life, and we need to say, hey, how can I whip this right now? 
What can I do to focus on getting rid of this problem in my life? Figure it out. Break it down. Try to go through it. And maybe ask for help. Reach out to other Christians and brothers and say, hey, help me. Tonight in our devotional time, I'm going to be talking about how we can uh, walk the walk or or live by the Spirit. Right? If we're going to live by the Spirit, we need to walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. Well, he tells us how to do that. Right? In chapter 6, bear the burdens of others. Right? Help people. Now, he also says, be careful, though, to make sure that you don't fall into that same temptation. Right? And, and so we need to help each other, reach out to each other, lean on each other. Because there are temptations in our life. There are tests that go on in our lives. And we need to make sure we can pass that test. Right? And that's, I hope you see those four lessons that we find in this chapter. I know that may have been a little bit longer of a sermon, but there's a lot of great meat that you can find in the book of Judges. A lot of great lessons that you can learn from the failures of Israel. And we can apply them to ourselves to help us to be stronger Christians. And so hopefully you were able to think through those lessons with me. Maybe you have a a different application for your own life that I didn't bring up. Great. Apply it. Use it. Take this material and help strengthen your Christianity and your faith in God. Because that's really what the Old Testament is for. To help us see what kind of God we have. If the people of Israel would never have left God, he would have never have left them. The same is true for us, right? Don't leave God. Stay with Him. Be faithful to Him, and your life will be richly blessed. If you're here this morning and you find yourself struggling, you find yourself in need of encouragement or prayers, we'd love to help you and pray with you. Maybe you have found yourself this morning caught up in this cycle. You're in a cycle of sin, and you're ready to repent, and you're ready to come to the Lord. Well, the Lord sent the ultimate deliverer when he sent Jesus, right? Because he can deliver us from our sins. He can wash away our sins. We have to have the act of obedience through baptism, though. That's where we contact his blood. We go under these waters and we contact his blood and we have our sins washed away. I would encourage you, if you haven't been already studying about it, please ask me about it. And we can study that together and learn about how we can become a child of God. But if you have a need this morning, whatever it may be, please come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.